The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Our guest today is Mark Thompson, Managing Director of Talga Resources. It is listed under the code of TLG. Talga is currently trading at 43 cents for an undiluted market cap of about $95 million. It started life out on the ASX as a WA Gold Explorer in 2010, but it wasn't long after that. Talga plugged itself into the battery revolution underway in electric vehicles and the storage of renewable energy. Talga is now very much a battery materials and technology supplier with high-grade graphite resources in the north of Sweden and proprietary processing technology across graphite and the wonder material graphene, distinguishing the company from the simple dig and ship graphite producers you will find elsewhere on the ASX. So Talga is not a simple mining story like we normally deal with. And to break it down, I will get Mark to take us through each of the three quote-unquote businesses the company has underway. They are graphite mining and refining plans in North Sweden, the processing of graphite and the exfoliation of graphene in an advanced material centre in Germany, and a technologies unit based in the UK. Now with that, I'll welcome Mark to the podcast and ask him to first fill us in on his background. Okay, Mark. Hi, Barry. So if you could just give us a bit uh, on your background and uh, take us back to that transition from WA Gold Explorer into the world of uh, graphite and uh, graphene. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, well personally, I, I guess I was, a, I was a kid that actually fell in love with geology as a kid growing up in Perth. And uh, like many of us, uh, our first jobs when we went bush was in, with Western Mining. So I was actually a, a grade control sampler. I think I was the lowest paid job in the history of Western Mining. Uh, at Cambalda and after several years I, I left there with about the same amount of money I went there and from that I progressed on to um, I worked for Sons of Gualia in their, their open pit in the days when I used to make a ton of money so that, that was the start of my mining career was on the geology side uh, and then I went out uh, contracting both mineral exploration and mineral resource development with my company Red Dog Prospecting and uh, that was successful uh, been, it was essentially now looking back uh, over 20 years of experience in exploration for a lot of commodities, uh, including the industrial minerals uh, and also then uh, the resource developments themselves working at different levels. At the same time, I've, I've, got, uh, I've always had a high interest in science and, and technology. Uh, I've spent some, some time uh, uh, doing some esoteric things like digging dinosaurs where I specialised in the chemistry of uh, fossilization of soft tissues and things like that. So when I saw a presentation in early 2011 on lithium-ion batteries where someone cut open a battery so you could see what was inside it, I noticed that while people were talking about lithium and copper and nickel in batteries, that if you looked inside one, it was very black. There was a lot of black stuff. I, was, I basically Googled what was all the black stuff and discovered it was graphite discovered more about its role. And uh, I guess I was attracted to the battery market because I see it as a mega trend, something that regardless of the markets is just gonna go through a multi-decade period of, of growth. Uh, 
for a whole, whole bunch of reasons, both economic and, uh, and, and cultural, but, but particularly uh, environmental. And so you just see this building pressure. And uh, I liked the, the aspect of graphite for batteries because very few Western companies were doing it at that point. Uh, there was very few listed companies interested. I started doing a search of the world for um, for graph- a graphite asset that would be very special, something that would allow us to compete with China, something that you could sleep well at night knowing that it wasn't just an average thing or you know, it wasn't something just by accident. It was a strategic move. I had time to review deposits all across Australia, across Africa. I, I visited China. I sampled their deposits. I I visited uh, deposits all over the world and I found these amazing deposits in Sweden. And so that was the, uh, what I saw was compelling enough to shift us out of gold, which was we were in that gold exploration stage uh, and say, you know what, I think we should shift out of the yellow stuff into the black stuff. Uh, Quite a shock for some of our shareholders and I spent some time explaining it. But within a few months, actually, uh, graphite became the hottest commodity on the planet for a, a couple of months, and it it became obvious that we were on the right track. And since then, we've uh, you know grown into what we are today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I mentioned earlier the way I see it: if you break uh, what you're doing down into three "quote unquote" businesses, underpinning it all, I guess, is and you mentioned North Sweden there. A, a preliminary feasibility study was put out earlier this year, pointed to a pre-tax MPV of a billion dollars US from a proposed operation producing, I think it was 19,000 tonnes a year of anode material. That's, uh, that sounds like a fairly special project. Um, what is it that we can arrive at an MPV like that? Yeah, it's a, well, to be honest, of course, a lot of people put out studies with pretty impressive MPVs, but probably not from a small amount of tonnes like that. Uh, it's, it comes about from a collection of factors, which are that the resource is, is super high grade. So it's, it's number one in the world as a mineral resource. Um, as an ore reserve, it's still very high grade. It's got about 30 to 40% more graphite than some other large graphite miners that are currently listed uh, per tonne. So you've got a much greater density of material. Secondly, the flakes in that material are already naturally the right size for anodes for lithium-ion batteries. So unlike everyone else in the world, including China and other listed companies, we don't have to break our graphite flakes down to make them fit they naturally are the right fit for batteries. And there's a big difference in the energy consumption of liberating something versus grinding something down into a uh, uh, reducing its size, so, so jet milling it and so forth. So we have super high yields of material. So when you put the really high grade of material together with the very high yield, and then in North Sweden, we've got very low cost power, we end up with a really big margin. That's what drives the MPV is our costs end up lower than China. Uh, on the average cost of producing anode in China. Uh, and yet, of course, we're selling material into the upper end of natural or the lower end of synthetic in pricing because the material is very high performance and that's where our processing and our technology comes in. So it's a synergy of the deposit, the processing and the technology because we're actually capturing all the margins by making the final material that would be bought by a battery company, not a trading company, that that really drives that that big MPV and drives big margins. It's about 190 million uh, a year in, in revenue um, gross. Uh, you get to keep a lot of that and do it for 22 years from what is only uh, 2 million tonnes out of a 12 million tonne, uh, 2 million tonnes of ore reserve out of a 12 million tonne resource. 
So it's the, it's the synergy and the, the compilation of the factors which supercharges it to get that sort of great result from a low capex, small tonnage project. Mm. So bringing that all together, if uh, you had stopped at just producing, say, a, a bulk graphite uh, concentrate and shipping it yeah. out, you would have been receiving, what, five to maybe yeah. $800 a tonne currently. What, uh, what's the sort of reference uh, prices you might receive for anode material that you're planning to produce? Currently. So we surveyed, we got Benchmark to do a survey and, and a study on the pricing of our material in the market based on its performance and based on its specifications. And they came back with a price which we then discounted by between 20 and 30% to allow for just being conservative and um, you know, other market dynamics, you know, some sales uh, uh, fees and things like that. And they came back, uh, the, the result was 11000 just over $11,000 a tonne, which obviously massive price compared to uh, your mm. not only your raw graphite flake concentrates at that $500 to $800 level, but if you purify and shape flake graphite concentrate into a uh, sort of an un, what's called uncoated spherical, mm-hmm. which is a, a downstream value-added product, you, the pricing for that is in the region of three to $4,000 a tonne. Right. So you've, you're value added, but you you can see that the margin. How, how can you go from three thousand, four thousand ton to plus eleven thousand a ton? Is because the skill and the know how is in the chemistry of the coating. It's actually the um, essentially, if you're speaking to a an end user, a battery like an end user for the final anode product, they classify uncoated spherical as still being graphite. Once it's coated and it becomes what's called active material for the anode, so it's alive, it is the stuff that does the work in the anode, that's called anode. And that's what they want to be clear about. Do you make graphite or anode? Making just value-added graphite is still graphite unless you're coating it and you're, you're actually getting it ready for its end user. And that's what we do. That's what we've invested in. The biggest margins along that value chain from a flake of graphite in the ground to being in a lithium-ion battery Far and away, the biggest margin is in the last part. It's where you convert the graphite into the final anode product. And that's why the groups that do that, like your Hitachi, your POSCO, um, your, your BTR, um, those guys, uh, th- that's why they are the big companies they are and that's why they're in it. That's where the big bucks are. And that's what Talga is, is essentially going into. That's where our position is in that value chain. Right. Okay. Now, the uh, it's a staged um, uh, development plan, and I think a DFS is on its way. Yeah, yeah. We uh, potentially uh, both from uh, private banking or you know general investment banking, but also because there are some potential you know, EU type uh, banking facilities available, a, a DFS would be good to have and worth investing in. Um, however, the first stage capex is only twenty seven million US. So, uh, if we if we manage to get financing through uh, interaction with customers, then we may not need to uh, complete that just on stage one. We may expand that to stage two as well. But currently, the current plan is that a DFS for stage one is underway. Mm. Now, obviously, uh, with the resource uh, being in uh, Sweden, uh, the the project and the uh, what's going on in Germany and what you, you're doing in uh, the UK very uh, Eurocentric, but I was wondering, uh, are there some broader reasons why Europe is a uh, is the place to be for your uh, plans, uh, given everyone seems to think that it's 
all about China, China, and no one else. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we uh, we have studied and thought about the market for not just this but other products for a long time. Uh, we believe that China is quite well serviced internally for graphite supply. It's becoming a net importer, and there are some uh, very large and relatively cost-effective. Um, large flake sort of raw material producers around. We don't want to play that game. Uh, we want to look downstream. And in the lithium ion battery space, the biggest market in the world outside China is Europe as a whole. It's actually bigger than non-Chinese Asia. It's bigger than North America. And the attraction is that they are starting from a low base. They actually currently produce nothing and they need to produce hundreds of thousands of tonnes of anode material over the growing rapidly from now uh, through to 2028 and beyond. So they essentially need to create an entire supply chain of their own for lithium ion batteries to be made in Europe uh, pretty much overnight. So the pressure's on. The governments are legislating it to happen. Uh, the European Investment Bank and all the, the, the financing of the European Union is backing it uh, and is enabling it. Uh, local cell manufacturers are constructing factories at the same time as groups like LG, Samsung, CATL are coming in. So you're getting Chinese and Korean and Japanese cell makers coming in. And all of them are interested in European supply, both strategically because they, they don't necessarily want to be subject to getting 100% of their materials from China. And in Europe, it's yeah, the car industry is pretty strategic. They don't necessarily want to be held to ransom by random price fluctuations from, from far, far away. So the closer it can get to control and, and be in a stable jurisdiction in a place that can set up a long-term supply chain at the right price for them, the, the more attractive it is. And I guess the third aspect of being in Europe is that the financing of those projects often may require, and I'm not just, I'm not going to tell you that there's a piece of legislation you have to go to to this, but in our discussions, we're learning that the financing groups themselves often either require or prefer local content. And so there's a sort of legislative and financial regime that supports that. So it makes Europe essentially the most attractive market because in China, you've got lower cost products. They can handle lower quality products as well. It's a big market, but it's very iffy when you're getting in, when you're coming out, how do you repatriate stuff, what you're allowed to do. In Europe, it's, it's more of a free market, but it's got a lot more going for it regarding issues around sustainability, the entire supply chain becoming local, the financing of that supply chain. So that's why Europe is a focus. And while in the early days, we may indeed have to export material that goes to, um, for example, Japan and Korea to get processed into material that gets re-imported back as batteries into Europe, um, eventually we're going to be part of the shift where we can actually be, well, in the first instance, we'll be Europe's first and largest anode uh, maker. So, so we're going to be a, um, a, the, the Europe's first uh, anode plant and that material is available for cell makers there as they start to make cells versus importing them all. So the dynamics of that are just better, we think, than, than China, where you've got good servicing, but at lo domestic servicing, lower prices, um, tough rules and regulations that you're a part of, a lot less transparency, a lot less investability, less financing available when it comes to you know, not, not working with customers but with, with other groups. Uh, so Europe is, is fantastic. And so we're not just Europe. I'm sure there'll be exports as well. We're globally competitive. 
but we have massive advantages. I mean, for example, we're only one hour's drive away. Our refinery will be only one hour's drive away from one of Europe's largest cell-making factories, which is, is Northvolt. In Germany, uh, CATL, the world's largest battery maker, is building a, a giant factory, which will one day become probably the biggest cell-making uh, uh, factory in Europe. That's half an hour drive away from our pilot plant in Germany. So, you know, we've, we've been working on this and strategically, you know, strategizing and getting set for this for a long time. And uh, we think uh, it's about to pay off. And certainly when we meet customers in Asia, they are also very, very interested. They're, they're basically looking for their business growth to be in Europe as a, as a priority. Mm, okay, interesting stuff, uh, particularly uh, given the backdrop at the moment of uh, US-China trade wars. Um, now, if we could move on to uh, Germany, the uh, at the Advanced Materials Centre, what's going on there? And what's uh, how does that fit into the overall strategy? Yep. So that's that's our uh, that's where we basically make the samples we need. So it's where we make the materials. We we have a facility there that we've um, leased from the uh, well former East German government. So it's in Thuringia. Uh, it's a very very good place for trade. Uh, it's very very cost effective for us to be there, and we've built essentially a, a test facility for processing. Uh, we've designed and built our own processing equipment and we've uh, collated collections of equipment that we need to build these sorts of materials, first with graphene and now with the Telnode uh, product. So Germany becomes a, a, essentially a pre-commercial sample centre. It scales up our Telnode C anode product uh, from currently in the hundreds of grams to kilos and it's currently producing kilos and we need it to go to hundreds of kilos to tons. So uh, the customers you speak to, they require larger and larger samples. So just to clarify here too, in comparison, uh, these anode material is not like a metal like lithium, copper and so forth. It's a non-metal and it cannot be sold based on just a specification alone. So it doesn't matter that they, that they know about your purity. It doesn't matter that they know about what shape it is, what its surface area is. They have to physically get a sample of it and test it in the battery. First, they test it in a small battery called a half cell or a full, full coin cell. Then they put it into a larger power cell. Then it does runs and goes into bigger battery packs. Eventually, they need tons of samples and they need to build battery packs big enough to put in a motorbike or a car or a truck and they actually test that and, and even do destructive testing. They put these batteries in cells where they shoot nails through them and see if they explode. So anode material has to be physically tested. So you have to have a facility uh, that can, and, and people, you have your own technologists that can take your material, you, you make larger and larger amounts of it to send off to customers. They keep testing it. And when they're happy, that's when they give you the so-called offtake or in this case, you know, material, material supply agreements. So that's how you get it. You can't do it, they can't do it just on a spec. They can't just say, if you promise to send us this, we'll give you a letter of intent to take 10,000 tonnes. They actually say, well, that's fine. We, we need to do that, but we also need to test the product in real batteries and that process is underway. So Germany becomes this brilliant place where uh, we send material down from our test mines in, in Sweden. They get processed there and turned into the, the samples and materials uh, the interaction of which has been lined up by our technology uh, marketing and sales group in Cambridge in the UK. Right, okay. Now just <clears throat> on the UK where you, I think you have a bunch of uh, PhDs in chemical engineering and probably other sciences working on new technologies. Uh, and of course, there was an, the announcement today where you've entered a uh, solid state 
uh, well, you said the solid state battery race with nanotechnology under the Innovate UK Faraday project. If we can just talk about that, that UK, uh, UK new technologies base and today's announcement, obviously. Yeah, so uh, so the, the UK base is because some of the scientists we were using uh, and and you know and, and employing and building the team were in Cambridge and at Cambridge Uni, uh, the access to the equipment is fantastic. The equi- the access to the people is fantastic. You can be part of an ecosystem of technologists and also commercial companies. So um, so we built a, a technology team, as you said, chemists. Uh, there's physicists. There's material scientists of many types, and these are responsible for uh, R&D of new products that will keep Telga in the race for these newer sorts of anodes and newer battery technologies going forward. But they're also interacting with the commercial customers who have got uh, either, uh, they've got uh, centers there in the UK. Uh, the UK is, the UK government has decided to put its money where its mouth is and back uh, new technologies with batteries to, to keep some of that in the UK. They've got between half to, I think, half a million to 800,000 people are employed in the total supply chain for vehicles, so for uh, for cars and, and trucks in and buses in the UK. And as they see that transition, that sustainability transition to more electrified vehicles, the government is looking at saying, well, we're going to roll out of all this engine, like internal combustion engine tech, into battery tech and electric motor tech. So they're supporting that, and our UK group is in a position to uh, enter into uh, a co-funding arrangement with the government. So we are getting uh, up to 70% of our costs back in that program, uh, and that supports us doing some work. It introduces us and puts us together with Johnson groups like Johnson Maffey, who are one of the world's big chemical provider to battery companies at the moment. Uh, We've got other programs running with Jaguar Land Rover. So we... We have it brings us together with some great commercial partners that even outside that specific Faraday program may become you know commercial partners in other ways. Uh, so it's 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 a really good it's a good situation, and the UK have got a really great uh, network for this to operate in. Uh, we've been in Cambridge for a while, and it's it's a fantastic uh, value add for the company. And the idea is that they will continue to uh, supply opportunities for us to have larger and larger markets. So the current Anotech uh, is in the Telnode C. Upcoming uh, Anotech is Telnode SI, which is our silicon product. And the one we announced in the solid state is that product is to replace the metallic lithium in solid state batteries going forward. So by 2025, when you've got car makers like BMW and uh, Volkswagen are crying out for solid state, as, as they've publicly said, then we're in a position to have a product that will um, be able to go into that. So it's all about setting up layers of growth for these new technologies as they as they mature. And the UK leads that. And then we provide the material from Germany, which came down from Sweden. Eventually, a lot of these functions will shift up to Sweden uh, once we're up and running. But right now, that's the way things are. Now, obviously, we've been talking a lot about batteries there too, but uh, product development uh, where, you know, uh, graphite, graphene, um, enhanced uh products across, say, I don't know, building materials, uh, coatings, uh, composites and resins. That doesn't seem to have been taken off just yet, but is it coming? Yeah, it's maturing. It's, uh, it hasn't gone as fast as, well, the commercial side hasn't gone as fast as we'd like. That's not through any any failure at all. It's just simply because 
the large companies we speak to, and again, because these aren't trading companies, we're, we're working with end users, uh, then their testing regimes and how long things take is just, is just it's a long time. Uh, new materials, updated materials. But no, that's, it's, I think it's, uh, we're in a position soon, I think, where we can show off actually some uh, really good results of the larger scale applications of that. So I would say it's getting closer to maturity. Um, in the building products, <clears throat> excuse me, in the building products and in the polymers, uh, that's all coming along very well. We're very excited. We've got a current uh, agreement with Billerid Causinus, who's a really big Swedish company that makes packaging, uh, paper and cardboard type packaging. They're, they're a global leader in that. And there's a graphene application there that's um, maturing and we're very excited about that. Um, in the coatings, we're probably one of the first to go large on graphene. Graphene has got really unique ability in coatings because the particles are very impermeable. So you can get massive anti-corrosion properties and uh, a whole range of properties, which I guess to link it back to you know some of the resource story uh, in the world, um, a little bit of graphene, like less than 1%, can give you a paint performance that's the equivalent of having, say, 30 to 50% zinc in it. So there's an opportunity to reduce the levels of zinc and copper, uh, which is is toxic in large amounts in any fouling paints. So there's the opportunity to clean up the uh, environmental uh, use of coatings in ships by replacing some of those materials with graphene. And I guess to get back to the commercial argument, those things are long-term tests. They start off with small panels and then they... Uh, have to move on to larger and larger tests, and we'll have some exciting news about that soon. So, I would say that in our business, uh, the as we've as we've discovered that we had a special opportunity with the battery anodes that we could, as we grew that part of the business, it occurs at the same time that the graphene is maturing, and we've got less products in the funnel. We've focused on less products, and it frees up some resources to go into anodes, but the graphene products themselves are still maturing. So, no, we're very excited about that because, I mean, the coatings industry alone, the, the graphene, uh, the coatings industry uses over 40 million tonnes of input, like chemicals and minerals and things into it a year, really big volumes. And it's a bit like shampoo, right? It's, it's always getting worn off something. Uh, it's always getting washed down the drain, as it were, and someone's got to repaint something. So we quite like that. Uh, we quite like that market. It's actually way bigger than the battery market uh, can be or possibly will be for a long time. Um, it's just that it's it's a little bit slower, but it's coming along really well. And I would say the maturity of all of our graphene products um, behind the scenes that hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about soon is, um, ironically, is 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 about to get to the stage where the, the people wanted it to be at. Um, at the same time as we're going to go and execute the battery program. Mark, you've outlined a a fascinating story for us today and I must say it's a a real pleasure to hear an Australian-based company leading the world in in, uh, this push into uh, new technologies to make the world a greener and happier place. So all the best with it and uh, we'll follow with interest. Anytime. Good talking to you again, Barry. Cheers. Cheers.